BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with OCR Bunny and OCR Strong. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, it's Mike with BeastNet here and today I've got with me Megan. Um, Megan, let everyone know again who you are. I mean, hopefully this is going to become an ongoing thing where we'll be talking, but let them know who you are again real quick. So in case they're new listeners. Hey guys, this is Megan Beck. I am the OCR trainer. I am obviously an obstacle course race coach. I specialize in developing obstacle course race training for people, particularly who don't have obstacles to train on. I have um, written workouts of the day and other training content for Spartan since 2017. I have my own podcast when we decide we want to record called Middle of the Pack Pod. And I just love everything about obstacle course racing. And I'm always trying to continue to grow the sport, particularly through training. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, anybody who hasn't heard the last episode we have, I think Dawn broke it up into two because we just Mm -hmm. went on a wild tangent for like two hours. And I think the original question I asked her at the very beginning, we don't answer until the like last two hours of it. So yeah, it definitely started with, uh, how did you get into this? And then like an hour later. An hour later, we actually got around to that. So (laughs) yeah, which is great with talking. Like I said, I I love talking to you because it's like talking to an old friend. We we have fun with it. We talk. I mean, before we started recording, depending on when Dawn decides to start the episode, we were talking about, you know, she gets to go see the dropkick Murphys, which I'm very jealous about because I've always wanted to see them. So them flogging Molly, a lot of those good ones. I love that kind of music. And you know, I'm jealous that she gets to go see yeah that much. I mean, I haven't seen them once and she's seen them like five times a week. So Oh yeah. I've seen them upwards of 50 times. Um, I am going on. I mean, I would say it's my ninth year of seeing them live, but COVID put a little damper into that one. But I mean, literally one of the only people that I saw during the pandemic was Ken Casey because I was at his restaurant here in Boston with one of my friends who's a huge Dropkick Murphys fan as well. And we're talking, just catching up. And he walks up to our table and just slams his hands down at the table saying, what are you doing here? And, you know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit, you know, give hugs, catch up. And then, you know, three hours later, he's leaving, says goodbye. And we're told that he, you know, to picked up our entire bill, whatever else. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So, I, you know, I go back years with those guys. Um, you can still find it on YouTube. I performed the dirty glass with them back in like 2017 or something. And yeah, it it was amazing. And there's so many stories I could tell for days about me and the dropkick Murphys. They're just such great guys. Um, They seem like, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, we're supposed to be talking OCR, but whatever. Um. (laughs) Hey, you know, one of these days I'm going to get them to let me run the Boston marathon on their Cladifon team. And I would love to somehow get Ken out and run like Spartan Fenway. I don't know. I'm determined to get some kind of partnership for dropkick Murphy's obstacle course racing, something. They just don't know about it yet. (laughs) They need to just play the music while we run. I mean, that would be my motivation just to go. Cause I mean, that music is always so upbeat and just keep you at that right pace. Yeah. Funny story, actually, at when I was coming off Um, it was the Boston sprint in 2017 and it was like the first year they had twister first time Mm -hmm. I was seeing twister and warriors code comes on as I'm coming down the hill over the Spartan bridge right into twister and that was my motivation to 
beat Twister. So I'll always say, you know, it's Dropkick Murphys. They were the reason for it. Um, and anytime I hear them out on the race course, I mean, Justin Manning will see me, he'll point to me and then he'll hit me with a Dropkick Murphys song and we're good to go. <laughs> That's awesome. That That is awesome to have, you know, Justin do that for you, you know, and it's one of those, you know, luckily I wish I had something like that, but I, I moan mainly like one of my big in my list of songs I listen to when I run dropkick Murphy's is a big list on that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of them. I mean, it's dropkick Murphy's Betty X. There's a bunch of random ones in there that people are like, who, but I love that hard hitting fast pace. Oh yeah. Cause it keeps me going. I mean, it keeps me, you know, if I'm listening to it, you, you find when you run, you're hitting at that pace and it's like mm -hmm. the best song, best, you know, like times I've gotten was because I was listening to a very fast beat music. So almost everything I have is really like that, that dropkick Murphy's like a Betty X I've got, you know, some ministry stuff like that in there. That's just that really fast, hard hitting. Yep. You know? Yeah. So, and I, I can just dropkick Murphy's has always been one of those big ones for me. So, and I just like that kind of music. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, I could talk for days about them. Oh. So, <laughs> well, that's one thing too. I mean, we brought in there. That is a thing when you're training is a lot of times your music does. Yeah. You know, I've had that. And it used to be when I first started and before I had a coach years ago when I had like my iPod, you know, mm -hmm. remember those things, um, <laughs> <laughs> I had my iPod and I had it set up and everyone used to laugh at me because I was such a nerd that I set it up to certain songs hit at certain times. Yep. And everyone's like, why? And I'm like, for one, I never have to look at my watch. I just had to remember what song I'm hearing. I'm like, oh, I'm hearing, you know, this song. That means I'm at 25 minutes. I should be at this, you know, here. And if I'm not, I need to speed up. And it just kind of gave me that whole, you know, and that's kind of how I did it. But it was always, I'd always have you know, certain times where I might have a song that's a little slower, like a final countdown or something, something mm -hmm. that brought my pace down just a little bit. Let me get a breather and then right back into a hard hitting song. And I actually set my entire, you know, soundtrack as I ran was set to that, to keep my pace to the music. Yep. hundred percent. So music can be a huge part of your training. And a lot of people don't think about that. Honestly, music is my second passion. I'm absolutely terrible when it comes to music. I mean, I wasn't bad, but compared to my sisters who are all like classic vocalists and whatever else, I'm definitely not the musician, but music is like my second passion. I can see that. For me, it's one of those ones because a lot of people, you know, I grew up in 90s Seattle. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in, you know, in the middle of the whole grunge yeah. era and I got to see and a lot of people get pissed at me when I say this, I got to see what Seattle looked like before Nirvana ruined it. Oh, wow. I know that's a very, <laughs> that's a bold statement from somebody who has no idea what Seattle would have looked like before Nirvana. And, and this is the hard part because a lot of people get really mad when I say that, but it's like, let me paraphrase that. What I mean by that is before Nirvana, we had screaming trees. We had, you know, uh, mud honey. We had, Green River, we had all these different, a very different, a very eclectic, different like types of bands. Once Nirvana hit big, every single band in Seattle became another Nirvana. Oh, wow. So we lost, you know, which I'm not going to say, I mean, I can go back and forth on my feelings in Nirvana, but um, <laughs> I'm not going to say they were a band, bad band. I'm just saying that everyone became Nirvana and all of a sudden all that variety of music that we had suddenly disappeared. And it was just mm -hmm. everybody, a bunch of people trying. And it's like, no, they already made it, you know, go off what you were doing. And that's what, that's where a lot of people get mad at me. It's like, yes, 
it's a very bold statement to make, but mm-hmm. it just in my mind, it changed the entire scene because then everybody was trying to be them. And that's what I hate is when all of a sudden I love the differences. I love seeing all the different bands, you know, and that's kind of what changed in Seattle. You're talking to somebody who loves all of the like little rock genres. Like I love metalcore, post-hardcore. I mean, I was, I don't know Rock if you're familiar. Belly. Yeah. I, I love Ice Nine Kills. I've been an Ice Nine Kills fan for years. They're from the Boston area. And, you know, as soon as Sirius XM picked them up, they went straight mainstream. You know, they, they lost their originality and they stuck to what was making them money. And it's like now everybody sounds the same and they're trying to get onto Sirius XM and go mainstream. And the quote unquote scene is dying because everybody just wants to throw in their electronics and, you know, synthesize everything, auto tune, and they're, they're losing that edge. They don't Mm -hmm. have anything that keeps them original anymore. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, like I said, we're supposed to be OCR, but (laughs) but that can bring me back to the OCR where that's where we're seeing somewhat in the OCR community now is where all of a sudden we had that, you know, in the. 2015 16 17 about that range mm-hmm. we had all these different brands coming through with all these different obstacles and all these different ideas and now we're kind of stuck with one or two big big ones especially here on the west coast mm-hmm. and I- you've lost originality now we're all stuck to the same you know cookie cutter over and over again and it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually just thinking about that before we went on I have I mean I have a lot of friends that are in this sport And so many of them are coming to me now saying, you know, I'm burnt out. This is my last year of racing. There's nothing more for me. And I was even thinking about it. You know, we haven't seen anything really original from Spartan since what, 2017, when they came out with Olympus and Twister and everything else, there's no innovation. So then you look at somebody like what Ryan Atkins posted about the San Luis Obispo race, just what overnight or whatever saying how it's a foot race and the obstacles are, aren't even a factor anymore. And, you know, we, we get the two ends of the coin, like, well, you know what you signed up for, you knew what the venue was and, mm-hmm. you know, train harder. And then there's so many other people that are saying, well, no, you're right. You know, if you want to run a cross country race, go run a cross country race. If you're going to run an obstacle course race, the obstacles should play a factor. And if this is an elite race, are you making this for the elites? Why aren't the obstacles becoming more innovative, more difficult? Why aren't the sandbags, you know, getting heavier? Why aren't we carrying two of them? Why aren't we expanding these? And the sport is really at this turning point where so many people are either turned off by it all saying, you know, I've trifecta chased. I've, you know, dipped my toe in age group. Spartan's not coming out with anything more, you know, we're not seeing all that much more coming out of a tough mutter, you know, savage race isn't as accessible in different parts of the country. There's nothing else left for us here or else then you have the people that are, oh, well, we're just going to always go back to what we know. And this is just our hobby. And, you know, Spartan's a business. So why should they ever change? Yeah. And I, and I agree. And that's been one of the big things that I've really been pushing. Cause I, I'll be honest, I've said pretty much everything you said that you just said, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty much done. Um, I don't know how much more I want to do because I hear on the West coast, we're pretty much, we have a few locals that are amazing. I love my mm-hmm. local races because they have some different innovative ideas, 
But then when it comes to the Spartan races, I mean, I pretty much, I have three free ones that are left to me right now that I, I still have left. I've signed up for two and that I'm doing in like a couple of weeks in San Antonio. And then I'm doing the, the Dallas, I'm signed up for the beast. I think I might upgrade to the ultra, but, oh, but it's one of those, like, that's it. I mean, in last year I did 12 races, 12 Spartans. And this year I'm like, mm, maybe I'll do three. I might do the Seattle ones. If, if maybe I volunteer and get a couple for more free races, but I don't know if I want to, I'm just like, I'm kind of burned out. It's one of those things. I think a lot of people tell us that we're supposed to, you know, to get out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Spartans become my comfort zone. I'm comfortable in a Spartan race. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm being really besides my own, you know, making sure I do better on the obstacle than I did last time. I'm not as challenged as I used to be. That's why all of a sudden this year I'm training harder for triathlons. Right. Because it's something new to me. I mean, now I'm being pushed because I'm not a good swimmer. So I'm working really hard to become a swimmer. You know, I just got a bike that <laughs> it's like a $2,000 bike that my father-in-law founded a, <laughs> founded a garage sale for 10 bucks. That's amazing. Oh yeah. It's at REI right now, except for now I've got a huge issue that it was supposed to be like 150 to fix it, but they found a couple of other issues and they're like, yeah, it's going to be about 300. And I'm like, Ooh. Oh, I got to But then it's kind of like, it's a $300 that I have to pay for a $2,000 bike. I mean, really? yeah. So, yeah. but you know, but now I'm like trying to figure that out. So I'm getting more into triathlons and because I got out of my comfort zone, Spartan mm-hmm. was my comfort zone. So I'm getting more leaning more towards these other ones. And like I said, Savage race, all those, I want to do those so bad, but I'm in Washington. Right. There's none of them here. I know. I wish they would expand more. They really are an incredible race brand. And I get it though. Yeah. Because Washington, there's been two or three other brands that have tried to come here into Washington. And the biggest problem with Washington people, we're procrastinators. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to sign up till the last minute. So I know like um, Gladiator before it went away the rock and run the very last, like two years ago, right before COVID, before they finally just kind of, I think that, I don't know. I think they quit it, called it quits as far as I know, but they were going to come back up here. And about two months before they're like, we have like 30 people signed up. Wow. And they're like, no, we ain't doing it. And the problem is, is basically it happens every time I've seen it with other races where some have said, fine, we're going to see what happens. And then all of a sudden they get like 300 or whatever that sign up a week before. That's insane. And that's very typical here. Nobody signs up to the last minute. So everyone's like, I don't want to be there. Cause then it's like a huge gamble of, are they really going to sign up? And I do a lot. I produce a lot of comedy shows out here. And I see the same thing where I get a lot of people like no interest, no interest. And I'm like sweating it out. And then all of a sudden the day of like, it just sells out in like 10 minutes. And I'm like, where were you all a week ago when I was spreading this <laughs> and thinking that I'm going to be like out all this money to pay comedians. And they're like, Oh Yeah. We just decided to do it today or we've been deciding to do it. We just didn't want to pay for it till today. Cause we weren't sure. And that's very on the schedule. Yeah. It's very typical out here. So a lot of companies don't want to like take the gamble to come out here because it's like, Oh, cause I know green beret tried it and we couldn't get more than enough people. So they just went with a virtual and there was a couple others that have tried it. And it's just, it's very hard to get people to really sign up out here. Oh, that's so tough. And part of it comes to weather too. Cause like they've had yeah. the Spartans here in April and people have like literally hyperthermia out of it. I mean, I think the first, the last time they did the April race, I think it was something like 300 people all got pulled from the race for hyperthermia. I was at that race and I almost had to tap out. I have never DNF'd a race before. I came over that finish line, bawling my eyes out, shivering. My friend comes running over with his dry robe and just wraps it around me. 
Yeah. And for me at that point, I was like 290 pounds. I had a lot of blubber to keep me warm, but (laughs) I've lost a lot of that. So now I get colder, cold a lot easier, Mm -hmm. but it was one of those that, you know, yeah, I mean, I, but I grew up here too. So I'm used to the cold. I'm used to being cold. I'm fine with cold, um, heats where I have my issue. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm moving to Texas where it's going to be hotter, but whatever. (laughs) That's going to be a lot hotter. I think if I get acclimated to it, I'll be okay. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those, but I race better. I run better in the heat. Yeah. All my times when I was in Hawaii, I was crushing all my 5k times the last time we were in Hawaii. So, because it was just all of a sudden I could breathe better and I could run and I was running, you know, I was crushing them all. So it's just a matter of getting out to other places, but the training is the hard part trying yeah. to train in this heat, this weather. Like I haven't, this weekend was the first time I've been out instead of just on my treadmill in really? probably two months. And I went out and ran a, full, a half marathon. Like first time <clears throat> off the treadmill and outside and ran a half marathon. And yeah, my legs are very ha- unhappy with me at the moment, but. They're probably still unhappy with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, so, I, I, I feel did, that. I did two, I mean, for me, it was okay. It was a two, two hour and 37 minutes. For a half okay. so it wasn't wasn't great but i mean i'm never been that fast i think my fastest is like 215 but you know so it wasn't great but it was good to get out there again but you know and off the treadmill but i've just been, it's been so crappy that i'm just like i don't want to go running it but yeah i i definitely feel you there we i mean i've been training outside all winter but here in massachusetts we've had horrible snow ice cold yeah. everything so even for like two hour training runs i'm barely getting eight miles in because the snow is so thick and deep that no matter what shoes you're wearing, you're, you know, sinking in, you're sliding every which way. So I ran an ultra yesterday, just a local 50 K trail race. And I managed, I mean, it was a slow seven hour, you know, 50 K, but I hadn't put in more than eight miles since the Carolina ultra back in November. So I'm definitely hurting, but it's just amazing how your body just acclimates and adjusts to everything. It is. Cause that was me. Cause I, the last distance I really did is I did, um, I mean, outside anyway, I did a, a marathon in December and then I did for my birthday every year, I run my age mm-hmm. and this year I just did it on the treadmill and I did 45 miles on the treadmill but which was grueling. That has to be the most miserable thing ever. It, it sounds bad, but actually what really helped was I just put my iPad on there and I can't remember what TV show it was, but I just turned on like some TV show and just watched it from like start to finish. Like <laughs> the whole thing while I was running and it just kind of took my mind off it a little bit. But yeah, it was mind boggling, but I've done it before where I did it once on a track. The okay. year before, but, but everyone like met and we weren't going to have the party like we did last year. So I'm like, well, no one's else is going to be there. So I'm just going to jump on the treadmill and go. You know, so, and it was, it was brutal, but I got through it, but I haven't done anything like that. I've just been doing like, I've done a 5k a day every day since the first of the year. Okay. And that's really it. I've had a couple other days where I've done like six miles, Mm -hmm. but really nothing like this where it's like, okay, I'm going to go do a half marathon. And it's just like, oh, okay. And yeah, my body was angry. But at least your mind was probably a lot happier. It was, it was, I loved it. It was beautiful. It was so nice to get out. And I'm like, now I remember why, because I was kind of to that point where I wasn't enjoying running anymore again, mm-hmm. but being outside and running, I'm like, okay, now I remember what I liked, mm-hmm. you know, and you get, it's different muscles than on the treadmill. And a lot of people forget that, that treadmill mm-hmm. and road running are 
two completely different muscles and trail running because you're, you're, you're stabilizing differently and all that kind of stuff. So you're using muscles you don't use on the treadmill. So that was, you know, took me a while to get used to that again, but it was my normal about five miles in when all of a sudden my body decides it wants to work. And I'm an endurance runner. I'm not a short distance. So about five miles in my best times are from five miles to like from mile five to mile nine. Yep. Or my best, my fastest times. And then all of a sudden I start petering off again at nine where all of a sudden my body's like, okay, we need, we're done. But when I did the marathon, it did the same thing. But then I think it was mile like 18. Suddenly I came back and it's got mm-hmm. my fastest ones are like 18, 19, 20 and 21. And then I started slowing down again. But mm-hmm. so I have those parts. I, I'm, I'm a distance runner. I'm not, I'm not fast, but I'm consistent. <laughs> that, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, for this 50 K the race director came up to my truck, tapped on the window and said, start lines ready whenever you're ready. So I got out of my truck, you know, threw my vest on. I didn't warm up anything. I just, you know, started my watch and said, okay, let's go. So the first five miles was me just warming up. I took off on the second five miles immediately. And like my times were the exact same from lap one to lap two. I felt better on lap two because I wasn't warming up, Yeah, but, um, you know, I just felt like I could fly so much more once my body was warmed up. And then, you know, my footwear wasn't the best for lap three. Um, so once I changed my shoes again, I was like, oh, I feel good again and I can run. And that's one thing a lot of people don't think about on those distance ones. I always have another pair of shoes. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I tell all of my clients, if you're running an ultra, have a second pair of shoes, have a long distance shoe just in case. Because when you come into transition, if your feet are even starting to bother you at all, just change your shoes. Um, Like for me, I'm on the ultra red team. I live, breathe everything ultra, you know, my King MTs, those are my OCR shoe, but I love the superiors for trail running. So um, I had just changed out my superiors and I also had a brand new pair of their new Mont Blancs. Um, I wasn't sure what they would do over eight miles. Cause I, again, haven't gone on runs for longer than eight miles and they're literally brand mm-hmm. new brand of shoe. So I only got to take them out for two test runs. So it's like, I don't know what they're going to do for, you know, 15, 20 miles. I'm just going to wear my superiors for 15. And then I only have to worry about these for 15 and forgot superiors should only be worn for about 10 miles. After that, go to a long distance shoe. And that is a big thing. It's it, it, different shoes for different things. It's like one of those, mm-hmm. my wife freaking hates it. And she's like, you're the girl in this relationship because you have like, we have a thing that hangs on the back of the, the, the door that has all the shoes on it. And I think there's 15 pairs of mine. Yeah. And then she's you, like, why? And I'm like, cause I need these ones for this and these ones for that. And these ones for this. hundred percent. I mean, I wear barefoot shoes when I'm in the gym because more times than not, a gym's not going to let you lift barefoot. Yeah. And then I have, uh, short distance road shoe. I have a long distance road shoe. I have my OCR shoes. I have my short distance trail shoe. I have a long distance trail shoe. I'm going to be getting a hiking shoe. I have snow boots. I have, you know, regular boots. Yeah. You're now you're going to have a different pair I wear on the treadmill. Like I yeah. have one pair for the treadmill and a pair for, you know, actual out running. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, because it's different, yeah. completely 100% different. different. You know, and that's one thing is you got to remember. And that's one thing I found too. And the longer distances, I always have a second pair and another pair of socks. Yes, socks 100%. 
And that's something that can just completely change your mental state when you're coming into the transition at the ultra, just change your socks. Your feet are going to be so much happier. When I went in, I basically had my bucket. And the first thing I did is I took off my shoes, socks, switched shoes and socks, Mm -hmm. grabbed, I had peanut butter sandwiches to like, you know, grab. And I just grabbed the bag of like, instead of grabbing, like you needing one, I just grabbed the whole bag and put one in my mouth and then just kept going. (laughs) That's so funny. That's exactly what I did. Um, this weekend I got to my truck, I changed out my shoes. I grabbed a donut. I had gotten some dunks Mm -hmm. on the way. I grabbed a donut and where my truck was at, um, the start and finish line were right next to each other. And there wasn't actually a transition area. So I was like parked right by where we'd come off the trail on our way to the start and finish. So Mm -hmm. I went to my truck, changed my shoes out. I run across the finish line with a donut in my mouth, turn and do a little circle around and get right back out as I'm eating my donut. No care in the world. And, you know, I've done that on the ultra, just starting a lap, eating a slice of pizza or whatever else. Well, it's like we talked about in the last one where a lot of people, you know, and that's one thing that I found is, you know, and even on this one, when I went, I had honey stinger waffles and then I had a Snickers mm-hmm. for like the, the half marathon. And like one of the people like saw me like pull out the Snickers, start to eat. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I need the sugar. Yeah. I will always tell people that running an ultra is easier than running a marathon. And it's in part because we just don't care when it comes to like fueling or whatever else, you know, we have our hydration vest, we pack whatever we need in there. We're not afraid to call up a pizza guy and have us meet us on the corner, you know, eat a slice of pizza or stop in, grab a donut. You know, I keep prosciutto with me, like whatever else we're just, if I ever run the Boston marathon, I am legitimately going to have my family meet me somewhere halfway with a pizza, just grab a slice and keep going. And that's great. I mean, that's one of the things a lot of people don't think about. It's like one of those things I keep telling and it sounds really bad. And a lot of people like, really? And I'm like, nutrition is for every day. Yeah. Food is on, fuel. Yeah. On the race day, if you food is fuel, find what fuels you. Just make sure whatever you eat is fuels you. It's not going to be too heavy mm-hmm. and it's not going to make your stomach upset. Yeah. That's it. You want something like sugary foods, honestly, in a run for me, that is the best thing because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I get that, you know, that spark of heat, you know, go. And that's one of the things, like I said, I, my five, six, seven, eight miles were like my best. I always eat at five miles. That's when I have my first meal. Yeah, you know, my first honey stinger or my first Snickers bar. And then, you know, usually where I see my, you know, my time start increasing is because I just ate something with sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And then when Perfect. I start slowing down means I need more sugar. <laughs> this weekend, I had a honey stinger gel at the five mile mark. And I had honey stinger chews at like the 20 or 25 mile mark. And everything else was like Oreos, a Snickers, a donut. Mm-hmm. And it was literally like, I'm not necessarily hungry, but I know that I should be eating right now. But what am I going to enjoy eating? Because when you're out there and if you're not thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm starving, I need to eat something right now, just, you know, do something that's going to keep you mentally engaged. And for me, having a gel is not going to do it. I want to actually chew something. I want to enjoy what I'm putting in my body. So I'm going to eat something that I enjoy. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big things, you know, that has always been for me is I had that 
because we're all told in the beginning, you know, oh, you want to make, you know, fuel correctly, do all this. And it's like, oh, I should have gels or I should have this. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. one of my favorites was always sport beans because of the sugar. But, (laughs) you know, and I never thought of it that, but it was like, oh, because it says sport beans, it's it's better for me. But then I realized later, it's really just jelly beans with some caffeine in it. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And that's when all of a sudden I I started thinking about, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, I need the sugar. So really it doesn't matter. I mean, I eat what I'm supposed to eat the rest of the year when I'm running, like you said, it's, you want to keep yourself engaged. And if it's, if you're only eating crappy food, when you're running, you don't want to do it anymore. Right. And I mean, we talked about it last time, how there there's more to it than just, you know, what you're physically eating. So, you know, you don't always need to be piling on all of these electrolytes. If you're fueling it, properly leading up to a race. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're drinking your known or your body armor, or whatever else, if you're getting your electrolytes and you're eating properly leading up, there's less of an urgency to rapidly replace. I mean, granted, yes, when you're on longer durations, you still need to have something, yes. but if it's coming down to just fueling the body, if you've trained properly for your running, then your body is able to fuel itself off of, you know, predominantly fats. So then any carbs you're putting in, it can burn right away because your body has figured all of that out. So at that point, you just want simple sugars. And that's, you know, the glycemic index of, you know, white breads, you know, so that's where pizza can be so great or potatoes, you know, something that you would typically think is like the junk foods, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that you we tell everybody you should not be eating. Those are the things you can eat when you're out running because your body is going to break them down and process them so quickly that they're instant fuel. So I don't care if you, you know, want to bring out honey stinger all the time. I use honey stinger, I'm a honey stinger ambassador. I am, you know, you can go ahead and do that. But if you only want to pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, that is going to get you to where you need to go. And like we said, just make sure it's not going to upset your stomach. I've seen so many yeah. people. They're like, oh, I've never had this before. Let's try it. Not on race day. Yeah, not on race day. Um, I specifically program all of my ultra clients, multiple, at least one to two, like long runs mm-hmm. where I specifically tell them, you know, I don't care how many miles you go. I am giving you a time frame. You can work in a time frame, but I more care about what you're testing out. So let's test out your gear. Let's test out your fuel. You know, I want you to write down what you're eating when you're eating it. You know, what are you bringing out for your hydration? What are you wearing in terms of, you know, compression pants, socks, shoes, you know, are you setting up a transition area midway through and what is your transition looking like? How much time are you spending there? What are you grabbing? What are you craving? When are you craving it? What is your body feeling? When is your body feeling it? Because the longer you're out there and the more miles you're seeing and, you know, with everything you're trying out, this is going to tell you what you're going to be experiencing on race day. Mm -hmm. And if you know all of that stuff going in, then you're more prepared for it. So for me, like I knew that when I ran my last 24 hour ultra, I started 
getting into like a dark place around mile 13 or so it was continuous laps. So when you're doing the same four miles for 24 hours, it can get really monotonous. And my body or my mind was like, you're so done with this. I was just starting to see black and I knew, okay, I needed something that wasn't race fuel. I needed real food, something that I enjoyed right then and there. So whenever I'm going out between that 10 and 15 mile mark, I have something ready for when, you know, the time comes that it, you know, 45 minutes in, it's time for me to eat again. Okay. Just have something that you enjoy right now. And, you know, when that 20 mile-ish mark comes and the hip flexors start bothering you or the calves act up, okay. I know this is coming. What am I going to do about it? Or did I change my shoes at the right time to push that back a little bit more or whatever else? And that's what I want all my clients to know. And I think that is one of the biggest things that people don't actually prepare for. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing that saved me when I did the Dallas ultra is I knew I had done enough distance races that I knew where I needed fuel. I knew at the halfway point, what I would need. So I went out and I got a second bladder for my, my hydro pack so that I had one throughout. Cause I knew I was going to be close to ending, you know, empty by the time I got back. So I could just pull out one bladder, put it in the bucket, grab the new one and throw it in there. So I knew I had that. I knew I was going to, you know, up to that point before I got there, I'm probably going to want a couple hundred stingers or something like that to keep me fueling. But I knew at the halfway point, I was going to need more than that. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to need. So uh, for me, like you said, it's the peanut butter sandwiches was my thing. Um, one thing that I found since then is actually if I put peanut butter and honey, actually makes it even better. But okay, because um, that gives me a little bit more of a sugar besides just the white bread. Mm-hmm. So and that's one thing that I also found too is I love wheat bread. I am not wheat bread. I love like oat nut. I love those like the mm-hmm. really like, but those don't work as well. No, they don't. And I need the fuel. I need the white bread because the white bread is just pure sugar. And yes. that's what I need. And the other ones are like, they're the healthy. I don't need the healthy. I need the crap as we yeah. call it pretty much for the 100% right sugar. Yeah. Stop eating healthy, like a day and a half before the race, like in any quote unquote carb loading situation that 24 to 36 hours is the ideal. This is when you're eating the majority of your carbs If you're eating within the 24 hour mark, you're really not utilizing that at all. It's a little different for an ultra just because the ultra is going to take a little longer. So you can push that carb loading a little bit more. But I mean, if you're only going to be out there for six to eight hours, that's really only means you can go from eating a really big meal for dinner to you can eat a big breakfast. And then from there, you don't need anything more later. You can just eat regular foods, but then still you want to, you know, pull back on your fibers and everything else that could clog you up, make you feel heavy and just start eating more of the easier to process high glycemic index junk foods. Yeah. So no steak the night before. So Um, yeah, no steak. I mean, I eat mac and cheese like I love buffalo chicken mac and cheese and I'll eat that the night before but that's my comfort food I'm I know it's not fueling me but it's also white pasta so like it's still not gonna be 
the worst in terms of the glycemic index, but I also don't eat a big bowl of it. Like I literally went out for Indian mud run and got like a side mac and cheese and I was fine. Yeah. See, I usually, it's like the night, two nights before I'll have something more potato starchy. Mm -hmm. And then the night before I'll have spaghetti. But I mean, it's not like you said, it's not like I'm having a huge plate of spaghetti, but it's just, it's my comfort food. I'll have a spaghetti the night before. And then the morning of, I barely, and I'm, I'm, and I know a lot of people say this is bad, but whatever. I'm a starvation runner. When I get up and I go, I don't eat until I'm about five miles in. And then I just kind of eat as I'm going and fuel myself. But I'm one of those, if I eat in the morning, it upsets my stomach right before I eat. So I wait till I'm about five miles in, then I can eat something and I'm okay. If I, my biggest worry is I'm going to upset my stomach right before I race. And then you, you know, you've got other problems. Yeah. For me, I usually just casually eat like a bagel with cream cheese as I'm driving to the race. Like sometimes I won't even get through half a bagel and that's fine. Um, A lot of people say I have coffee. That's like my before racing is a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be my sugar because I'll get a mocha, like white chocolate mocha with a lot. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That sounds so good. (laughs) It does. But see that when I started losing weight, that was one of the things I cut out big time. Mm -hmm. I cut because I love, I would have two or three a day. Yeah. I love my white chocolate mochas, but I just, now I make an entire pot of coffee in the morning and I fuel put a premier protein in it. Okay. My, that's my sweetener. So, and that's what I'll drink all morning. So I literally made, um, cold brew, uh, atomic roasters coffee, like the day before the ultra. And I just brought this huge thing of cold brew to the race, just in case. I mean, I ended up not really having any of it and it was so cold out. It was like, real feel of somewhere between two and five degrees when we started the race. So, um, yeah, (laughs) Massachusetts, well, actually it was Rhode Island, but still new England cold. Um, it was a freak day. So I ended up getting like a hot coffee when I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts, but I did have cold brew just in case. So now I'm just working off cold brew all week. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. See, I'm a coffee. I love, I mean, typical Seattle person. I love my coffee, but yeah. You know, but it's one of those I found, I found ways. And that was the hardest part. Like when I lost all the weight was everyone's like, what did you do? What about these things you love? And like, I found ways to still eat what I love, just Mm -hmm. found healthier ways of doing it. Yeah. And that's what it came down to was the healthier ways of doing it. And now I'm kind of, I've gained some back, but at the same time, I'm also gaining a lot of muscle with a lot of the weird stuff I'm doing. So the swimming for some reason, I feel like my chest is starting to really grow and it's getting weird, but (laughs) that's understandable. You do need a lot of, um, pec strength stability. And honestly, anytime you're really building muscle, you need fuel to replenish that muscle. So just, you know, naturally as the metabolism increases and everything else, your appetite's going to increase as long as you're not eating junk all the time, like you're fueling your body, you're going to eat more because you just have higher demands. That is the hardest part. I think a lot of people get, cause that was my biggest thing. Cause I look at pictures, like a picture popped up with a memory of me today from like a run I did with someone last year on this day. And I was 180 pounds and I'm looking at that picture and I'm like, God damn, I'm skinny. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, it's like the shirt that I'm wearing. I have like one of my favorite, like Spartan hoodies on. And I mean, it looks like I'm wearing a blanket. I mean, this thing's just drool- dripping <laughs> off me and I'm like, wow, I hit some really, I got really small. And now I look at myself and, but now my chest has gotten so big. Like Mm -hmm. I put on one of my favorite shirts earlier today and literally I felt like that, you know, 
little guy, a big guy in a little coat because yep. my chest has just gotten so big from the swimming. Like my stomach's still a bigger than it should be, but my chest is the part like from the swimming. And that's the hardest part is I look at the scale and I'm like, I'm way heavier than I should be. But then I'm looking in the mirror going, but I'm really not fat. Like I used to be when I was this weight before I was a lot more fat. There's a lot more muscle. And I think that's where a lot of people lose in their, their, their workouts and start to get frustrated because they've well, not seen the weight loss. A lot of people still go by this whole archaic um, BMI factor. And, you know, we have a stereotypical, this is what, what we should look like, or this is mm-hmm. what numbers should be on the scale. And it's like, you know, I know two years ago for me, when I really ramped up my mileage for running and I mean, yeah, it was the start of the pandemic. So I was training clients virtually. So I was doing a lot of the workouts with the clients. I was recording a lot of videos for clients. I was doing a lot of animal flow. I was probably 15 pounds lighter. I was skin and bones. I, you know, didn't look unhealthy, but I looked really small for me. And now I look at myself and like, I just had my physical last week and I stepped on the scale and it was definitely, you know, 15, 18 pounds heavier. And I didn't freak out because I know I look in the mirror and I have much more muscle on my shoulders, my arms, you know, my abs, my legs, everything else. But like my running times are so much better. My lifts are so much stronger. And I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I don't particularly quote unquote, watch what I eat. Like I don't eat junk, but I also am not sitting and portioning out my food or counting my macros. I eat what I want to eat. But of course, because I've conditioned my body to not eat as much in terms of sugars or, you know, eat specific types of proteins or, you know, cycle my carbs based around my workouts. That's just how I enjoy eating at this point. So I know that I'm not going to just go out and get some Ben and Jerry's because I want some ice cream. I can't sit and do that. My body just doesn't like it anymore. So yeah, I can eat a little bit more rice one day and I might pack on a little bit more, but I'm fueling my muscles and that's okay. And I think that's the hardest thing to get through to people. We've gotten so, like you said, I mean, with, with our society, we've gotten to that point where people believe so much in those numbers on the scale and, oh, we can never have this food because it will gain weight. And mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing for people to get through to their head. It's like, no, it's not necessarily. And for me, when I lost the weight, everyone always, like I said, everyone's like, how did you, what about these foods that you love to eat? I'm like, I just found healthier options or I just didn't eat as much of it. Yeah. You know, I didn't need to eat an entire, like if I opened up, you know, a bag of potato chips, I don't need to eat the whole thing. Exactly. You know, the hard part is Girl Scout cookies. So you open those, you have to eat them all. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so tough. I actually, so I ordered Girl Scout cookies from Russ's daughters back around Christmas time. They showed up like on Christmas. I kept that box closed as long as humanly possible. I open a box every now and again. And some of them I've been able to manage getting only, you know, two, three, four cookies a day. But if I open any of the thin mints, oh yeah, they're gone. They, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, mine's Samoas. You open a bottle, of, a, a box of Samoas, which apparently those are the ones that no one can find right now. So I'm like, oh. good. If you buy a box, if you get a box of Samoas and you open it in front of me, that whole thing's gone. I mean, yeah. 
I can't control it. And, you know, that's been, those are, those are definitely my weakness. I love Girl Scout cookies, but, but that's just the thing. There's a lot of the other things I have, like I said, with the coffee, I figured out, you know, premier protein, I still get my taste of almost like a mocha, but it's a lot healthier for me. You know, I'm not, I can have an entire pot of coffee without having a whole bunch of sugar, you know, and that was kind of the thing is finding healthier versions. You know, it's one of those things. And I hate to say it freaking cauliflower. It's the magical fruit or veggie. I mean, it replaces, I've had it as a replacement for rice. I've had it for replacement as uh, potatoes and it, it tastes good because it tastes like whatever you put into it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. At the start of the 2020 season, right before COVID shut everything down, I was really getting big into cauliflower. I was making like cauliflower lasagna noodles and Mm -hmm. I was making, you know, lasagna every single week. And I'm not a big pasta person at all, but just, you know, the ricotta cheese, some garlic and, you know, the tomato sauce, it was so good. And then I was making like cauliflower pizza dough and I was throwing cauliflower in place of rice for all of my, you know, Mexican burritos and everything else. And I still, I think two weeks ago, I made a casserole with cauliflower instead of rice. And I I just love cauliflower. I never thought I would, but it's become one of my favorite. Like I made it for, we do family dinners, you know, every Sunday normally. And I made like enchiladas one time and use the cauliflower rice. Mm-hmm. And everyone talked about how so good it was. And I'm like, that's cauliflower. That's not rice. And they're like, what? Yeah, I did the exact same thing to my mom when, so during the COVID shutdown, I ended up going up by my parents for a little bit because obviously I live in Boston. I wasn't going to be in like heavily populated areas. No. So she is very adamant against veggies. Like she likes what she likes and don't ever make her change anything. I bought a cauliflower head at the grocery store and she's helping unload the groceries and she's like cauliflower what's this for I'm like just don't worry about it like it's for me like don't worry and then I I make tacos and I make some Mexican rice so I just throw some salsa into some rice as I cook it and um, we go to sit down and eat and we're eating my mom's eating the rice and my dad was like Hey, Megan, this cauliflower rice is amazing. And my mom just like drops her fork. She's like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, that cauliflower, that, no. th- that rice is cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. now won't eat any rice that I ever make her, but she but liked those, it until yeah. she realized it was cauliflower. And that's what happens. People like it until all of a sudden they realize like, like, wait, no, I don't like this. Yeah. You liked it till I told you what it was. Oh yeah. I made black bean brownies once and everybody loved it until they found out there were black beans in it. Yeah. 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 And that's, people just don't get it. You know, it's one of those things. It's, it's so funny that, you know, it's not so hard to eat healthy and healthy doesn't taste bad. If you get out of your own brain, like the cauliflower, like I said, what we would do, we'd buy the head of cauliflower, I'd steam it. And then I would just run it through the, 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 basically the cheese grater. Yeah. To make rice out of it. And it looks and tastes just like rice. Yeah. I just throw it in the food processor and then throw it onto the stove in a little skillet, throw some salsa in or whatever else. Yeah. You're good to go. And really people complain that like eating healthier is more expensive or whatever else. It's really not. You just have to eat it in a timely manner. It's like any other food. Once you buy it, if it's fresh, you got to eat it. You can't it, stick it in your pantry. And it's just not as convenient where I can just go walk down, open my, uh, the can in my, out of my pantry, put it into a, you know, a bowl and stuff it in the microwave. 
but you can, there's so many different like frozen cauliflower. And I've Mm -hmm. seen cauliflower rice in, you know, the rice aisle, whatever else they now have, you know, we buy it at Costco all the time. A lot of times we actually found that it's cheaper and faster to buy the like bags of it at Costco Mm -hmm. than it was to just do it ourselves. Cause that's what we were doing for a long time until we found it at Costco. And we're like, it's actually cheaper and faster just to buy the cauliflower rice here. And it's, there's no difference besides they did it for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen some such great results with simply, you know, eating a little bit extra cauliflower rice. I mean, I'm not cutting out carbs elsewhere. I'm not trying to cut down on my carbs. It's honestly more, it gives me more veggies and it's helping me to keep me fuller longer. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're eating a all, you know, a natural diet, you can't really overeat unless you're, you know, eating for a full family. And even then, depending on what your activity level looks like, you know, maybe you can eat that many more calories, but throwing in some cauliflower rice into your normal diet is not going to skyrocket your calorie count. And it's only going to fuel your body. Yeah. And it's just, it's finding the the healthy options. It's one of those things like for me, like today I, I was teaching class and I brought a salad for lunch. And then on the way home, I get, I, I get snacky when I'm driving. So I had a, a bowl of pineapple. Oh yeah. And that was my snack for the drive home. And everyone's like, really a bowl of pineapple? I'm like, yeah, it's sweet. So it kills my sweet tooth. I'm not, you know, craving sweets anymore because I had the pineapple. It's good for my body. It's actually, and really pineapple is an anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So it helps with the, you know, the fact that I'm sore from running a, a half marathon. There's all sorts of benefits. It's jam packed with electrolytes. I mean, it's going to mm-hmm. help your hydration. That's one of my go-tos whenever I'm fueling for a race. I, I'm a, you know, big believer on eating your water pineapple, watermelon, all of that. It's so good for you because it's jam-packed with those electrolytes. I'll go with the pineapple. I don't like watermelon. Oh, I love watermelon. I'm supposed to be allergic to watermelon, but I'm not. I love watermelon. I love pineapple. <laughs> watermelon, like, for whatever reason, I don't know why. It's just like the one, and everyone always looks at me like I'm insane. It's the one fruit I won't eat. I will not eat watermelon. I don't like it. I don't know what it is. Just for whatever reason, I just don't buy it. Like cantaloupe, honeydew, anything like that, fine. But watermelon, nope. I love watermelon. Um, my mom always loved cantaloupe. I couldn't, couldn't really do cantaloupe. Um, couldn't ever do honeydew, but all the watermelon for me. Yeah. See for me, cantaloupe, one of my favorite things with cantaloupe is I will actually cut it open in half and then take, uh, uh, cottage cheese, put it in the middle of it. Like it's a bowl and then eat the, the, the cottage cheese and the cantaloupe together and just, yeah, scoop it out. And that's always been, ever since I was a kid, that was one of my favorite meals. <laughs> and I was like, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, that, that is weird. But hey, if it works for you, I mean, cottage cheese is great because it's got that casein protein. Yep. So yeah, um, I got that from my mom. It must be a West Virginia thing. Cause that's where she's from. And that's everyone else was like, that is so weird. I'm like, I don't know. My mom did it all the time. <laughs> yeah. But 
So anything else? I mean, we're, we're hitting one of those things. Don got mad at me because last time we were over two hours and you had to break it up into two episodes. So yeah, supposed to keep us close to an hour. If not, I'm going to get yelled at again, but he's yelled at me for like 30 years. So it's fine. <laughs> well, here we are. We've talked nutrition, like literally the entire time. And I know we <laughs> really had talked to nutrition last time too. I had so much I wanted to talk about, you know, well, I have, again. I know. Um, so like there's so much more info that needs to be shared in terms of obstacle course race training and everything else. And I think one of the biggest things I wanted to hit on, even if it's just shortly right now, something that, I mean, I've always been a firm believer in, I was listening to another podcast yesterday and it just reaffirmed it for me. And it's this whole mentality behind training And especially in this sport where there are so many people that say, you know, we're like, I'm not an athlete. This is just a hobby. I'm just doing this for fitness. And it it really does bother me to the point where, you know, I, I'm obviously a big advocate for all things training. The other day I posted something that I had seen on Twitter because I obviously follow a lot of strength and conditioning professionals and whatever else. And with the rise of CrossFit years ago, everybody started transitioning into this CrossFit realm. And this tweet simply said that CrossFit is not sports performance training. It's not meant to be in place of sports performance training. Um, Obviously CrossFit is its own sport. So CrossFit is good for CrossFit. CrossFit isn't good for in place of other sport performance. So then you know, I posted this and people are getting upset. Like, why are you, you know, knocking CrossFit? It's like, well, CrossFit is CrossFit. CrossFit is an obstacle course race training. Like my demographic is obstacle course racers. And people are coming back saying, well, you know, maybe they're not looking to get on a podium or maybe they're just, you know, doing this for fitness and, and listening to this podcast they were talking about how it, when we're training, we need to get out of this mindset of we're just doing this for fitness. No matter what we're doing in life, we should always be training for performance. I have a client, he's 71 years old. He started training with me at 65 years old. He's not running obstacle course races. I saw him last week in the gym and for the first time in a while, we were deadlifting. I threw 205 pounds on a trap bar, didn't tell him how much weight was on it. And he went in and he picked it up. No problem. He looked at me. He's like, that was heavy. I'm like, I know your body didn't tell me it was heavy. He's like, you know, talking, he asks how much weight it is. I tell him and his face just drops. He's like, I haven't done that in so long. I'm like, I know he doesn't have anything in particular he's training for. He's just training for life. So regardless of, you know, this is our hobby or, you know, we're just doing this for fitness. No, no matter what it is we're training for, we're training for life. We need to start thinking about, you know, what we're doing or who we are as athletes, no matter what your quote unquote sport is, whether you're just in for the sport of life And, you know, obstacle course racing is just something you like to do for fun and you want to just get better at this hobby. You're still an athlete. Your training 
needs to be geared towards performance. And again, like if you don't want to be the best obstacle course racer, you know, running alongside VJ standing on podiums, that's fine. Your performance is all strictly for you. So your training needs to be tailored specifically for what you want to do. But we need to get into this mentality of we are performance training. We are always training to perform better, regardless of what it is. If you're sitting at a desk, I want to be able to sit there without my shoulders rounding, with my head held high, you know, without my back starting to hurt. I want to be able to perform my job better based on my posture or whatever else, or, you know, if you want to get better at obstacles, don't strictly train grip because for some reason, everybody gets it ingrained in their head that I just need to be able to dead hang or do a ridiculous amount of pull-ups. Like, no, if we want to perform better with our obstacles, we should be opening up our joints and not just closing them off. We should be getting a well-rounded training to perform better as the athletes we are, again, regardless of whatever our sport or activity is. No, that makes sense. And that's one of the things that I see a lot where I've had that mistake where, you know, I trained so hard for my running, you know, and everything else. And I lost the weight, did all that. And then I did my first competitive race and couldn't figure out why I failed half the freaking hanging obstacles. And I'm like, Oh, well, gee, that's because I've just been running a lot, mm-hmm. you know? So I wasn't really, I mean, I could climb the rope, but that's because I knew the J hook and I was 180 pounds instead of 290. So it made it a little easier, but a lot of the other hanging ones, I had issues because my upper body strength wasn't where it should have been because I didn't train for what I was going to do. I just mm-hmm. trained to run. And then I'm like, Oh, well, that's just going to cross over and to, to, you know, Spartan. No, it didn't. I could run faster from one obstacle to the other, but I had to do more burpees. Yeah. You know, and and this is the biggest complaint I have with a lot of, you know, generic obstacle course race training is people jump into a class and say, oh, well, it's just going to give me a general fitness or you know, it's a metabolic conditioning. So it's going to give me a little cardio and a little strength and it's going to translate really well. In any given class, unless, you know, you're in sync with exactly what the instructor is looking to do, you know, the goals and all of the purposes, you aren't there with a performance-based aspect. You are there with that fitness mentality. I'm just here for my fitness. I'm not looking to work towards a particular thing specifically for me, you, it might be, you know, I just want to stay active or, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to lose a little bit of weight or I want to gain a little bit more strength, but it's the purpose of a class is not to get you to an ultimate goal. It's for you to get to a fitness instructor's relative idea and goal. So if you are working towards a specific goal, you need specific training. And that's where we need to really reshape this whole performance mentality. We are athletes, we are training to perform. Mm -hmm. What you need to perform is different than Joe Schmo right next to you in the class. Exactly. So let's get on, you know, track for your specific performance and not for Becky Sue, 
the instructor who thinks we all just really need a lot of air squats and push-ups when we really need pull-ups and everything else. And that is so true because it comes in one of those things. And I've talked to a couple, you know, other trainers and stuff. And that's one of the biggest things that I've always found is, you know, one of the biggest things I always say, like P90X, all those, those beach body. Yes, they are helpful, mm-hmm. but they're not going to get you to where you need to be for performance because they're made for a cookie cutter for the general population. Mm-hmm. Where if I want to get like, I want to get better, you know, OCR and all that, then I need to go to an actual trainer and say, this is where I'm at. This is my goals. Can you help me get there? Not right. help me group get there. And that's where the only time I got really better was when I had a personal trainer that was specific to me that was saying, okay, you're running a lot and your cardio is doing really good. You, you could speed up a little bit, but you're failing in every other part because all you're doing is running. Now let's add their lifting. Let's add all this. You'll actually get faster and get better by working on these other muscles and doing all this where you're not just going to, you know, the running isn't going to save you. You need to do all this to go with it. And that's because I got a, you know, had a trainer that actually looked at me as a person rather than looked at a group and said, okay, as a, a population, this is what would help most people. Right. And honestly, the biggest aspect about all of this that I think people are missing is the mindset behind it. You're not going to create change if you're not mentally there. Um, You know, if you don't have specific goals, we don't have a specific purpose. If you just look at something as this is my hobby, I just kind of want to get better. You're not going to get exponentially better. I don't want to train a new client who you know, just wants to run their first race. I want to train a client that knows I really love obstacle course racing. I'm struggling with these areas. I really want to do this specifically out on the course. I am committed to this training. So help me get there. If you're just looking for, you know, some training to help fill your week, and then you go run a race at the end of the week, I'm sorry, but you're not the demographic for me. I applaud you. I respect you. And I hope you do well, but I want somebody with more of that mentality of, I have a purpose. I am training for performance. I want to get better. I want to be an obstacle course racer, not just, I run obstacle course races as a hobby. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what's amazing. Cause I mean, it's one of those things where you see some coaches where they just want the dollars, like, give me money and I'll tell you what to do where you're more like, I want to actually help you. Yeah. I'm building a sport. I am completely committed to the sport of obstacle course racing. I want to develop so many more practices and philosophies around obstacle course racing. Cause there isn't the, all of this science behind it yet. I want to help adapt the sport and the training behind the sport. But if people aren't committed to the styles and the training that I'm doing, they're just going to fall off. And I would much rather hold on to clients for a long term than Mm -hmm. just have to restart this, you know, a different person with the same needs. I don't make cookie cutter programs. I really just, it's not something I enjoy doing. If I have people that you know, are looking for a basic starter program, I'm just not interested in it. I would much rather look at every single person individually and say, you need this, 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 and here is the full program. And then realize that I 
don't have videos for this because I just completely made up an exercise for them because this variation is something specific to only them versus something that I've done with everybody else. But my clients know when they come in with me that I am going to give them stuff specifically for them and they're going to see those goals because it is for them. If you're just, you know, want to go run your first race and see if you like it, that's great. I've written a lot of programs on the Spartan website. You can start there. And if you find that you really enjoy this and you want to continue to get better, come talk to me. I am happy to help you. I am happy to answer any questions, but I want you to be mentally ready to train with me because there's only so much mental prep I can do in an online training format. Yeah. And that is the big part. The mental is the big part. Yeah. And I'm sure that I make a lot of people mad when I'm like, sorry, you're not my demographic. Or, you know, I just, I only talk for so long because I get these same questions over and over and over all day. People messaging me left and right. And if you're just looking for a generic cookie cutter program, there's only so much I can do for that. I want people that are training for that purpose, because again, we are here to train for performance. We are all athletes. If you're not in the mindset of, I am an athlete, I, I want to perform to the best of my ability. Again, it doesn't necessarily have to be an obstacle course racing. It could be a 71 year old lawyer in Boston who's never worked out before the age of 65. As long as you're in there and mentally ready to make a change, then we can continue to work together. And that makes perfect sense. And I mean, that's one of those things, because like you said, it's not a cookie cutter. You're building it specifically for them. So Mm -hmm. they have to be ready to do it. Yeah. And I am just as much invested in my client's success as they are in their training. And when I see clients that are falling off or, you know, they aren't reaching out as often, or they're not checking in, they're not, you know, marking their workouts completed, whatever else I, I can't get as invested in them because I feel them pulling away. And there's only so much I can do to hold on. If you're not there mentally, I can't pull you back in. I'm not your mother. I can't babysit you. I'm going to reach out, see what's going on. But again, that commitment has to be there from you as well. And it all starts with your mental prep. Mm -hmm. And that is huge. So, okay. So I think we'll cut it there Yeah, and let's, we definitely, I want to get more on that on the next one. So we got to get you in soon so we can talk about that. Cause that (laughs) is the huge part. The mental part is because that was me for three years. Mm -hmm. I kept telling everyone, I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to do this and not doing any of it. And I mean, that was the first three years really of this podcast. Yep. I'm going to eventually do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start losing weight as of now and never doing it. And then all of a sudden it took like a mental switch where everything, some switch went in my brain and said, no, you are going to do this. And suddenly I did it, you know, and that was just, everyone's like, what changed? I'm like, I don't know. And honestly, that I would say is the biggest difference between a personal trainer and a coach Mm -hmm. is the mental training. I can train clients for mental change. And I have some clients that I talk to them numerous times a week 
where I am coaching their mental headspace to try and create change within their mindset. And that helps them to embrace the training a lot more, but they have to have that desire to change before I can ever work my magic to get them to change. But in a personal trainer, and I can't generalize all personal trainers, but for the basic, you know, I just got my personal training certification. I want to write up this metabolic conditioning workout and try and pull as many clients as I can. They're not working the mental side of change as much as they're focusing on the physical. They are only thinking, what can I do right now that's going to make them feel like I kicked their ass, I gave them a good workout, you know, and keep them coming back because I am giving them the workout that they wanted. Whereas that coach is, I want to create change because you're going to get the best results when you can instill change both mentally and physically. Exactly. So you have to have that mental change or the the, the physical change isn't going to stick. So, all right, perfect. So like I said, I can't wait to talk about this more. Yeah. So definitely have to. I know. Now I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll have to set up a time to talk about this more, maybe sooner than we thought. So, definitely. Um, we'll talk about it. We'll get more because we're definitely over that hour and Don's going to whine, but whatever. He yeah. whines me a lot. <laughs> He's been yelling at me for 40 years because I never listen. So I'm horrible. <laughs> He's a bit okay. We'll just, we'll send him the video of me performing with Dropkick Murphys and give okay, him a good go. laugh. And... Go. I like that. So he likes that kind of music too. So he'll love that. So, all right, I just more. posted it on Facebook today. So okay. I'll find right it. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. This has been a blast as this always. It's been so much fun. Like I said, we'll talk it. We'll, we'll figure out when we're going to do this again. And like I said, it may have to be sooner than we originally planned. Cause I definitely want to go more in that mental side. Cause that's definitely. the hardest part. That, that is the hardest part. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. And uh, we will talk again soon. Yes. I look forward to it. All right. See you later. Yeah. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook, like, and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. Yeah.